Well, if you do have your Bibles this morning, we are going to be looking at several passages. We're going to begin at John chapter 3. We're going to follow along and then we're going to be looking at some others from there. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior, your beloved Son. And in Him, we look to you and we ask you to have mercy on us, to minister to us, to reveal our hearts to us. Show us the reality of our own lives and what's at the, what motivates us. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us this morning, please, O oh Lord, to see and to know your love. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the heart and the motive of mission, of being on mission, going on mission. What is at the heart of it? And in order to understand that, we have to understand God and what's at the motive and the heart of God. Why does God do what he does? What's, what, is, what is causing God to move the way he does? What causes him to go on mission? Because until we understand even the motive and what's at the heart of it, what's at the base of going on mission, being on mission, what does it mean for us as a church to be on mission, we deeply have to know what's at the heart of it, what motivates it, what would cause us to sacrifice, what causes us, what would cause us to serve, what would cause us to give our lives, why should we in the first place, why would any of us be on mission with God? Ed Szyzewski, in his book on prayer, says this, Evangelicals are good at giving us causes to fight for, and some are worthier than others. While some of us may be called to a cause, this emphasis in evangelicalism puts the cart before the horse. We need more than commands, teachings, and obligations to, have, to live fit, fruitfully as spirit-filled followers of Jesus. We need God's transforming love. Until we can pray, serve, and minister out of God's love, we'll forever struggle with anxiety over not doing enough for Jesus or losing something that we had to fight to gain. We need to know that there's a parent who loves us unconditionally and that transformation and, and, and that transformation and holiness proceed out of the peace and security of that love. Do you realize that until God's love fills our hearts, we will not feel much of anything toward our neighbors, co-workers, friends, and associates, Though especially the unbelieving world. If we look at those around us, I guarantee you what you, you probably, you might feel actually is some disgust towards them and their lifestyle choices. There's no way we're going to be burdened, we're going to be compelled, or have a sense of desire to go after the lost at all until we know the love of God in our hearts. We will not have God's love for the lost, for one another, for the world around us, for people around us in general, until the love of God fills our hearts. What I want us to accomplish this morning in our time together is to see and understand what is at the heart 
of this mission. And in order to do that, we have to look at Jesus, look to Jesus, who is the exact image of the invisible God. And we have to look to the Father, who sent his Son. We have to look at what what drives and motivates the whole mission of God, because God is on a mission to do something in this world. And I... I want us to, first of all, see this. I want us to see where this all proceeds from. It proceeds from the heart of the Father. Because we got to see, first of all, that Jesus' mission was given out of love. John 3, if you look at John 3, the famous passage, most people in the world know this passage, especially if they've ever watched a football game, right? John 3, 16, they hold up the sign. Most people can quote it. And we know it very well, especially if you've been going to church. For God so loved the world. Now listen to this. For God so loved, he so, when he looked at the world, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. That's a wow passage. Wow. No other passage in Scripture so encapsulates the love of the Father toward his rebellious creation. No other passage of Scripture so reveals the very motive of God for sending his Son. Why did God do this? Why would God give his only son? Just think about this for a moment. Think about it. How much would God have to love the world in order to give his only begotten son? If you have children, this should blow your mind. Because how much would you have to love something in order to give your only child for it? Think about that for a moment. You have one child. You're only begotten. How much would you have to love the object? I'm willing to give up my only begotten son. And the text says God so loved the world, so loved it, that he was willing to give up his only begotten son. Now, we, now granted, we might say, yeah, but God was going to receive his child back. Yeah, he was. But first, he was going to subject his child to hell. Unbelievable. That's a love that's so intense, that's so deep, we cannot completely even fathom it. But what we can do is we can meditate on it and let it settle in just a little bit. Because it's transformative love. Just think about what it would be like if someone loved you. Think of you for now. Take yourself, for example. If someone loved you with such deep and such intense love that they were willing to give up their most precious and prized possession for you, what would that do to you? How should that affect you? They're willing to give up their own son for you. What would it be like to be loved to that degree? Just let that sink in for a moment. And you know, I have to be honest with you. I have 
the hardest part about receiving this and just letting that settle in is when I look to myself. And I have a hard time receiving it because I know, I know me. I know who I am. I know the things that I've thought. I know the things that I've done. I know me. And I don't see myself as having that much value or worth. No, don't get me wrong. I was like, I'm not a groveling dirtbag who's, you know, I'm just, well, woe is me. I'm nothing but a piece of dirt. That's not, it's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that when you, when you, when you try to think about someone loving you to this degree, it's really hard, especially when you know yourself. You know who you are. But if we could ever come to grips with this truth, understanding that God so loved his creation, so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That's, that's how much he loves. You could spend eternity just, just meditating and drinking from that. Letting that like just get into your heart and let, let that just overwhelm you. That's deep love. And it's a love that once we believe it, if we believed, my God has loved me like this, it's transformative. But whether we believe it or not, this is the truth that motivates God in saving the world. It's true. God so loved the world. This is what, his, this is what motivated him. The Father loves his creation and he gave his son. It's a, son, it's a love that's willing to sacrifice and give in ways that can't be understood. But you know what? That love, that love gripped the Apostle Paul. It gripped him. And it's why he could lay down his life and follow the Lord the way he did. Allowing himself to be beaten, allowing himself to be whipped, allowing himself to be stoned. Who would do that? Who would sacrifice in that kind of a way? And you know what? He didn't do it to earn a single thing with God. He did it because he knew the depths, the depths and breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he know Paul realized, you know what? Oh Lord, you sacrificed way more for me than I could ever in all my sufferings sacrifice for you. Paul was willing to do anything for God because he knew God was willing to do anything for him, even give his only begotten son. Do you realize that there's no greater motivation in all the world than love? Love, deep love, will make you do crazy things. You fellas here, whoever pursued your, when you pursued your wife, if you're married, and when at that moment when you start to deeply love and pursue and go after, you get a little crazy. You're willing to do crazy things. <laughs> to go after and to, get, and to get because you love and love compels you. The love of God compelled him to give his only begotten son. And this is at the heart of what, what drove God in the mission of this world to, to save the world was love. And in saying that, Jesus' mission just wasn't, well, he wasn't just given out of love. Jesus' mission as he began on this world was commissioned in love. 
When Jesus was baptized by John in Matthew 3, 16 through 17, just before he was about to go out on his mission, he's being baptized, and it's like the Father's ordaining him, commissioning him. The Spirit descends on him. And listen, listen to the passage and hear how it reads. And when Jesus was being baptized, was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The guy I quoted earlier, this Ed Suzuki, comments on this declaration made by the Father by saying this. Before Jesus preached about the kingdom, healed the sick, or dined with the unworthy, he received affirmation from God, his Father. And because of that affirmation, he had, to, he had nothing to prove. His identity was secure, and there was nothing anyone could give him or take away from him that mattered more than the loving affirmation of the Father. He was God's beloved Son, filled with love to share with those in need and to protect himself against the anger and criticism of others. Let's assume that you have a mission to share the gospel of the kingdom. Let's assume that you've been sent to tell all the people about the kingdom of God and that Jesus is alive today. What would you want God to declare to you from a cloud? What is the one thing you need to know above anything else? Could God say something in 15 words or less that could change the course of history forever? What if you were stepping out into ministry today and a cloud opened up right over you and a voice from God spoke to you by name? You are my child, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You haven't shared the gospel, served a meal, visited a prison, ministered to the sick, or supported a single broken-hearted person through the loss or tragedy. You haven't proven yourself worthy of anything. There's no success story to report, nothing to measure, and nothing to celebrate in front of a crowd. And yet God is giving you the one and only thing that you need for your life and for your ministry. If this one thing isn't good enough for you right now, nothing else will be good enough. You'll most likely spend the rest of your life burning out and living in fear that you won't, you're not worthy. Not doing enough and never ever good enough for God. If you can't live out the, of the abundance of God's love for you, other people can become a threat to your accomplishments, doctrinal purity and status. It's far safer to treat people who disagree with you as threats, dangers, and heretical outsiders. If you become the guardian of the gates, you become indispensable and powerful, protecting the black and white categories of religion. Decisions become cut and dry matters based on what's safe and what's a threat. This fraudulent version of Christianity doesn't have much need for a God who shows up on day one to proclaim unconditional love and acceptance. Without a foundation of God's love and acceptance, Christians are cut off from the capacity of God to love others generously 
and unconditionally. If we aren't declared God's beloved children on day one, and if we must perform in order to please God, then we better work harder, debate theology endlessly, and worry that we have never done enough to merit God's acceptance and approval. End quote. That was the whole quote. To which I say, wow, that was well said. You know, I spent a significant amount of time just meditating on this idea after reading that. And I tried to imagine what it would be like to hear from the Father. Dean, I love you. And with you, I'm well pleased. Not having done anything. I love you. And with you, I'm well pleased. What would that be like? Have God... The God of heaven declare that to you. You know, as I begin to sense and meditate on that, get a sense of like, what will be like to hear the words and God say that to you? It's, it is transformative. It is empowering. It's like, it gives you the security and the comfort and everything you need. It's like what you long to hear from. Your father. Your father to tell you this thing and to say it with such conviction and meaning that it just it penetrates the depths of your soul and you, and you just have this sense of like I can conquer the world, I can do anything. Why? My father loves me, and with me he's well pleased. Not for anything I've ever done or accomplished. I haven't done anything. Just loves you. Why? Because he is love, and that's how he—that's how he is. He just loves you. You know what? This isn't just a theoretical thing that we could think about. Like, what would it be like if? This is the reality of the situation. Because this is what the Father's indeed saying to all those who are in Christ Jesus. He says it to Jesus, and it's just as much saying it to you because you're in Jesus. If you're in Jesus. And belong to him. These words are your words from the Father saying, I love you. He wants us to know that love, that love is what motivates him towards you. He wants us to know his love, that yes, I love you and I'm well pleased with you. Why? I haven't done anything. Have you seen my track record? I see it all. But when I see you and my son, my beloved son, I love you because of him in the same way. And in this understanding this and knowing this, and if this gets out of our heads and can get into our hearts and we can get to kind of get this, it begins to transform us. This is why Paul could say to the Ephesians what he does in chapter three. And I've said this so often lately and for the last while about this, this benediction of love. He says this, beginning at verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Do you realize what Paul knew? Paul knew that nothing, that sorry, that knowing this love, knowing the love of Jesus, 
is the only thing that will motivate us to live radically for God and to give our all. It's once, once you know the love of God, you're unstoppable. Once you know it in your heart and this love has overwhelmed you and you're filled with the fullness of God, you pour out love. It's inevitable. And so the degree to which you believe the truth in your heart will be the degree to which the love of God is poured out on others. If the Father's love for you is not known in your heart, then you will go throughout your life unmotivated to sacrificially love. You just won't have any motivation. But when you do know it, you will have the motivation of Jesus who went to the cross for those he loved. You know, we also need to see that Jesus' mission wasn't just based on the fact that the Father loved him. It wasn't just based on the fact that the Father declared this. It was, there's other aspects to this as well. Love is all over the place. Jesus' mission was also based upon his love for his Father. So the Father's love for him, uh, the Father's love for creation and for the world, he gave a son. But because the Father loved his Son, he declared it to his Son, and it was the empowering motivation in Jesus' ministry, his Father's love toward him. But also there's now there's this third aspect, where it's Jesus' own love towards his Father is this grand motivation as well. John 14.31 says, So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So that the world might know that I love the Father. I do as my Father commanded me. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Then there's John 6.38, which says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. We also know from John 4.34 that Jesus' food was to do the will of His Father. In other words, doing his father's will is what strengthened him and sustained him in all that he did. The scriptures make it clear that one of the major reasons why Jesus came and performed the mission he did and accomplished what he did because the father commanded him to go. And his love, I love the Father. And he says, when, when you see me obeying, you can see I love the Father. And I love him so much that I will do whatever he asks me to do. You know, Jesus wouldn't want to do any other thing than his Father's will. It's just, it was his pure delight. And you know why? Because he knows his Father. He knows how absolutely awesome and good and good, great, and kind, and delightful his father is. He's so, he's, he just knows the love of his father. He knows how good he is. So it's his absolute delight to do his will. You imagine a child whose sole delight and desire was to do his father's will? Parents? Pretty sweet. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it's painful, that manifests love. And that's what Jesus did. 
It's precisely what we see in Jesus. Jesus literally went through hell out of love for his Father, trusting his Father's will. And he did so because he he just knows his Father's good. And no matter what my Father does, no matter how my Father leads me, no matter where he takes me, he's good and he works it for good and it will be for good. Even when he's faced with the cross, And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's staring at it. And he's like, oh, he's so agonizing over this. It's so troubling to his soul that he's sweating drops of blood. He goes to the Father, and he's busting inside. Father, take this cup from me. Then he says, he just, yet, not my will, but yours be done. Oh man, it was, he literally, there's the whole process from the garden into his death. He went through hell. He was even the father turned his face from him. There was nothing that Jesus would withhold from his father because he knew that his father loved him so much. He knew who his father was, and he trusted him. He loved him. It was the love of the father, the love for his father, that drove Jesus to the cross. But it wasn't just his love for the father. There's another aspect here. It's love from top to bottom all over the place. Jesus absolutely loved his father and loved his father and wanted to do his will, but he also, Jesus, was also motivated by his love for the lost. He's a a man with a mission. He's on purpose. He has a love. He has a love for the Father, and he too has a love for his creation, a love for the lost. In Luke 19, 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he says, that's why I came. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 John 3.8 says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And then to bring this all together, you see what he's doing in the, those passages. You see his mission. You see why he was, he, he came and you see what he was about to do, what, about in his mission. John 15, 12 through 13 says this. This is my commandment that, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus says, my whole, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. So he says, no greater love has anyone than when they lay their lives down for their friends. I don't think there's any question that there's any greater love than that. You know, someone who's willing to lay down their life for you? What, what more could they do? What more could they sacrifice? What, how, what greater price of love could they give? There's just nothing greater that they could do. You know, here's the other crazy part. 
He didn't do it for good people. He didn't do it for people who who loved him. He didn't do it for people who were who were just so worthy. You know, sure, I mean, some of you could say they were nice people. They were nice. But their thoughts and their desires and their driving force in life was purely themselves. That's who we are. It was These are not people he died for that loved God and loved others. They did anything but. They loved themselves. They did not love God. They did not love others. They loved themselves. These are the people that Jesus died for. He loved those people. You know what? This is, this is what we're like as people. We so often go through life fixated on our own plans, our own dreams, our own desires, and our own wants. And the moment we have to sacrifice those for someone else is the moment we don't like those people so much. Because it's easy to love those who love us. Right? Have you loved your enemies lately? How about those who despise you, who hate you, who say all kinds of things about you? How, about, how would it be to love those people? How is it? How does it feel, guys, when you, you're maligned? Wonderful. No, we don't like that. Do you love those people? Now think, those are the people, that's whom God loves. Jesus says, I come to seek and to save nice people. No, the lost, the dead, those in darkness. Those in chains, those people who do not love me. Those people who will take me and beat me and deny me and reject me and hate me and crucify me. Those people I'll love. Wow. Now, if I was to ask you, what motivates God in this mission? What motivated Jesus in his mission? What's the, what's the underlying motivation here? It is love from top to bottom. Love. He came to love and sacrifice everything. But here's the problem. I believe that there's many people in this room who do not know this love. Now, don't get me wrong. There's many people in this room who know it in their heads, but don't know it in their hearts. Because I think it's very easy to know what Jesus has done. We hear it all the time. How he lived a sinless life, how he died on the cross, how he rose from the dead, and how he ascended to the right hand of God. But you don't know those acts of love here. You know them here, but you don't know them here. And when you think about it, you know, the details about Jesus and what he's done, they're really just like math facts, aren't they? They stick up here and you know them. If I was to test here to quiz you, you got the Apostles' Creed down. 
you know what Jesus has done. You, you know it in your head. But your heart is completely unaffected by them. You could sit here right now and hear about the love of Jesus and completely fall asleep. And you, you're sitting here going, I know. I, I know. I know all this stuff. And do you realize that believing something in your head is different than believing something in your heart? These are two different things. Now, of course, you have to get information. You have to hear. You have to, you have to learn. You have to know in your head. But they're believed in the heart. It's with the heart one believes. It's with the mouth one confesses. And you can even rationalize in your head. You can say, I know the love of God. I know it. But the question is, do you believe it in your heart? Do you believe it? Has it sunk down past here? Has it really gotten in your heart? Does it won't affect your life. It won't change anything until you believe it in your heart. This is why the Apostle John can say what he does in 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And do you realize that God's actions and gestures of love toward you can be completely cerebral and not affect you? Or they can come into your heart and change you. Now, here's, this, here's, here's the deal. When love is not filling your heart, and, and, and please don't get me wrong, I do not mean like just, you know, leaping zeal and joy and like doing cartwheels down the aisle and like just, I'm just, my heart's just flaming with love. I don't mean that. But it affects you and it gets you deep into your soul, your spirit. You, you are compelled you are burdened. You are driven. It's like a love you have for your child. If you think of the love you have for your ch- a child that you precious is dear to you, you think of that love. It's not like a giddy love. It's a deep love. It's like you're willing to sacrifice for that child. You're willing to give up for that child. You're willing to do whatever for that child because you, you want that child's best. That's a deeper love. And that's what I'm referring to. I'm I'm talking about a a deep love that's willing to give. It's willing to sacrifice. It's willing to do whatever. And it it can be as calm and placid as, as a lake that has no wind touching it. But it acts. And I'm concerned that many in this room, either A, don't even know this love in their hearts, or B, they did, but it's grown cold. You could sit here and say, Dean, yeah, I remember. I remember when that love burned, and I, I was, there was zeal, and there was a sense of, like, I knew how much God loved me, and I just I wanted to love as a result. But it's, it's not like that anymore. It isn't difficult to drift and lose your first love. And here's what concerns me. And now Redeemer Church, 
I, I please, please hear me on this. I say this with all sincerity, with, with, a, with a desire for nothing but your good. And, and, and there's, not, there's no guile in this at all. I, tell you, I also say this in fear and trembling because I, I do not want to say this in any way that's harmful. I want to say it so it's helpful, so you understand. Understand and have a good look because here is, I am seriously concerned about us as a church. Because this is what I don't see. I don't see a burden. I don't see a desire to serve, to love, to give, to sacrifice, to reach out and do whatever you can. And there's like, there's not a desire there. And this is also what concerns me. We can do a, we can do a, a series on hospitality. And for the week after, one or two people pick it up and start doing it, but nothing changes. We can hear a series on getting out of the ghetto. No one gets out of the ghetto. I can, I can do a series on the mission of the church. This is what we're to be about. And I can guarantee it that we will not be on mission at the end of this. If something doesn't change right here, we will not. Nothing will change. We've got to waken up and see there's a problem. There's a problem in this church. And it's right here. You guys have a lot of stuff in your head. There's a lot of stuff in our heads. But there's not a lot in our hearts. And I think if we're truly honest with ourselves before God, like, man, my heart is kind of unaffected by the things of the Lord. I can hear the sermons, I can hear these messages. I can go home and say, yeah, either check it up, that was a good one or a not so good one, or right in the middle. But what the, the, here's the thing. When the heart is affected by the word, when it hears God's word, it acts. It, it does something. You're not just a hearer of the word, you're a doer of the word. As James says, do not be deceived. Like, that's what you have to ask yourself. Am I do, what am I doing? Am I even compelled? If you look around at your neighbors, your coworkers, and the people around you, is your heart compelled toward them? Are you burdened? Do you have a sense of love and a sense of compassion and a sense of reaching out? Say, man, I, I, we need to reach, we need to reach these people. Do you have a sense of the people in this body? I need to love these people. I need to serve them. I need to, I need to help them. I need to give to them. Is there a sense of love? I think we got to hear the words of John. First John, he says, you got to understand God is love. And those who know God love. If you don't love, if the actions, if your feet and your hands aren't showing it. it, it and I, it's, here's the other thing. Someone could be just burning with fire and zeal. Oh, they're passionate. But it doesn't come out their hands and their feet. It's not love. Just give them a few weeks, it'll be gone. Deep abiding conviction is something that drives you throughout your life, and when you know and you hear the water of God, you're compelled to go and move. So I want us, please, if I can plead with you, be sincere and honest before God, and ask yourself, do I know the love of God? Not in my head, but in my heart. And if not, what do you do? 
you, you turn to the Lord and you cry out to Him. So we looked at last week. You know, usually when this is the case, the heart is dead or cold. There are idols. There are things in your life, in your heart, that you love besides God. And don't ever think for a moment that turning to God and laying down everything and offering yourself wholly to him and receiving and knowing this love is something that is anything but, but, but radical and painful in the heart. If you have idols in your heart and things that you love more than God, when you go to take them out, it tears and rips. It's difficult. And God will, God will rend you. And God will fill you if you turn to him with your whole heart. That's what we have to do, folks. We have to turn to him with our whole hearts. Everything in us. Say, Lord, God, I turn to you with my whole hearts. Help me. Beg him to show you his love. That you would know your love out of your head. And that he would, you would know it in your heart. That you would know his love. And beg with him and plead with him and turn to him. and ha- That he would help you to know him and give everything to him. And love will flood your soul. And then love will flood the people around us. It's the way it works. And I pray that God have mercy on us all. Amen. Amen. Father, come before you, Lord, and ask that you would truly Please, Lord, help us all to see and to know your love, not in our heads, but in our hearts. Lord, I ask for, I pray for every individual here that they would, you would reveal to them their hearts. And if there be idols or the things we cling to and love more than you or in addition to you, beside you, that you would reveal those as well, that we would turn to you with our whole hearts and everything in us, please, O oh God, work in our hearts and awaken us where we ask this in Jesus. Amen.